0: Well, hello, thanks for joining me. Um, we're going to actually begin looking at the Gospel of Mark uh, as, a, as a, uh, an opportunity to sort of work through the Word. In our other podcasts, we've been covering prophecy, we do devotionals and share some of these things. Uh, I also want to present um, opportunities to just go through the Word verse by verse. Uh, I believe this is a really, really important thing for believers. Uh, whatever stripe or label of your church, whatever denominational background you might be, whatever, um, you know, stream of Christianity that you are part of, I do think that central to the life of all believers uh, should be that lifeblood that is the Word of God. We should always be centering and basing our uh, our understanding, uh, not only of our faith, but ultimately of the one we have faith in, based on what he has said about himself. Uh, you will find that I hold the scriptures in very, very high regard. I don't don't think the Bible contains the Word of God. I believe the Bible is the Word of God, and I treat it as such. And so as we go through the Gospels, uh, hopefully that will become evident, and hopefully it will sort of, um, you know, um, bring a level of comfort with that idea to you if you don't already have it that uh, as we study the scriptures and take them seriously and look at them for what they say and allow them that space in our lives to transform us further and further into the image of Christ, uh, hopefully that this will this will serve in some way to accomplish that. So um, let's talk about the gospel, or the gospels, the four of them that we have in our New Testament. Uh, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, each of them is written by a different author and with a different perspective and uh, to varying audiences. Of course, the Gospels are for everybody to read, but the initial writing of it, uh, in some cases, had a specific focus on who they were writing for. And so, uh, Matthew, for example, uh, very clearly, when you read the Gospel of Matthew, it becomes obvious that he, uh, Matthew's intention is to present Jesus as the promised king of Israel. And so, uh, Matthew, very early on, begins by Sort of laying out the pedigree for Jesus, showing that he is in fact an heir to the throne of David, and he is also a descendant of Abraham. These are very important things from a Jewish perspective, and if you were going to present someone as Messiah, those points would have to be made, they'd have to be demonstrated. So Matthew shows that Jesus comes from the line of, uh, from the descendants of Abraham, ultimately through the kingly line of David, and so he has a claim to the throne that Matthew is presenting and is having. And so, um, the, so that gospel is written really primarily to the Jews. It's very heavily influenced by a lot of Old Testament quotes and such. And Matthew himself, uh, whose name is also Levi, one of Jesus' followers, uh, Matthew or Levi. Matthew uh, was not a priest, but he was of the tribe of Levi, apparently so. And, and so he would have a, a strong knowledge Of the Old Testament and and, and likely um, uh, that seems to come through, I should say, during his Gospel. Now Matthew was a tax collector and that's a whole other thing. If we go through the Gospel of Matthew at some point, we'll talk about him and his person, uh, uh, sort of his background and stuff like that. But but Matthew's Gospel is written primarily to a Jewish audience. It's for everybody, but ultimately it was written uh, specifically uh, to demonstrate to Israel that their king had come. Um, Luke's gospel is written to someone named Theopolis and, uh, Luke is a Gentile, by the way, different from Matthew and Mark and John. Luke is not a Jew. Luke is actually a Gentile and, uh, he's the only Gentile writer of the New Testament. Uh, Luke wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts and it's actually toward the end of Colossians that Paul mentions Luke as one of his helpers, but he sort of, uh, in in terms of explaining those who were with him who were of the Jewish uh, background, he sort of separates Luke among those who was not, and so we know that Luke was a Gentile. But nonetheless, uh, the Holy Spirit tasked him with writing a gospel, and the way he did that was ultimately by connecting Luke with someone named Theophilus, who the uh, Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts were written for, for Theophilus to know the story of uh, of both uh, the coming of Christ, but also Paul Uh, in the book of Acts as the primary figure uh, through at least the second half, or probably the second two-thirds of the book of Acts, um, are ultimately focused on Paul. And it is sometimes presumed that as Paul is preparing to go to trial before Caesar, that Luke's gospel and the book of Acts are possibly Paul's trial documents, telling the story of how Paul got to where he was, uh, and how Paul came to believe, and what it is that Paul was teaching and all these different things uh, as he would one day stand before Caesar. And so Luke's audience essentially is Theophilus. However, of course, that gospel is written for anybody to to read. And uh, the gospel of Luke, different from the gospel of Matthew or John or Mark, uh, focuses much more on the humanity of Christ. It's not just that he is the God-man, but he's the God-man. He's also not just the Son of God, but he's also the son of man, and that phrase finds its way out in that gospel frequently, uh, as well as the more human elements of of Jesus' dual nature are are emphasized in that gospel. Um, The gospel of John is written for a very broad audience. Uh, In John chapter 1, John records how Jesus came first to his own, speaking of Israel, came to his own people, Uh, But nonetheless, even though they rejected him, all who did believe in Jesus had the right now to become the children of God, even those who believe in his name. And so the Gospel of John is a much more broad audience, very intentionally. And the emphasis of John's Gospel is to present Jesus as having come from above, ultimately to save mankind. He's not only the Savior of Israel, but he has actually come that all might come to believe and be saved. As a matter of fact, John says this in his gospel toward the end, where he says, of all the things that Jesus did, he's written, he's done so many things that there's not enough space to record them all. But these things they've written, John has recorded these specific things so that you might believe. And by believing in his name, you might have life. And so those are the three other gospels. Uh, Mark is somewhat different, uh, whereas Matthew and Luke very clearly have genealogies of Messiah, and I would argue that John sort of does too. That breathtaking prologue in the beginning, and the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Uh, Matthew goes back to Abraham, Luke goes back to Adam, and John goes back beyond the vanishing point. Sort of a different kind of a, a genealogy, as it were. And Mark, on the other hand, does not have a genealogy. Uh, Instead, he tends to share the story of Christ from the perspective of Christ as the servant and the suffering servant. And nobody cares about the genealogy of a servant, so he doesn't include that. He just simply gets right down to it and and begins by explaining that this is the story, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Talks about the messenger that foretold his coming and then goes right into the story of Jesus beginning his ministry and going on. So with these different uh, ideas in mind, I'm going to go ahead and dive in. Uh, Mark is uh, 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 the second gospel in your New Testament. The three gospels—just one more little point on this—the first three gospels are what are called synoptic gospels, and they are called that because predominantly they share a lot of the same material uh, from different perspectives, with different goals in mind. In some senses, but a lot of the same content is is existing in all three of those gospels. Whereas John's is unique; it doesn't have much of any of the same stuff in, in, in his gospel, and has a lot of things that are very unique to uh just his own gospel so that being said uh we read the gospel of mark it's 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 going to move along at a relatively brisk pace and um let's just have at it so here we go mark's gospel chapter one verse one the beginning of the gospel of jesus christ the son of god well the beginning of the gospel the beginning of the story of the good news the word gospel means good news And the story of Jesus is exactly that. It is good news. Now, of course, the gospel narrative will unfold as we go, but let me give you a spoiler alert and explain what, or a spoiler, and tell you what the gospel is. What is good news? What is the good news of the gospel? Why is the gospel good news? Well, the gospel is simply this. Uh, As Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15, that Jesus came into the world and died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. Now, let me tie that in concert to what is probably the most well-known Bible verse ever. If you've ever been to a football game and someone kicked a field goal, you probably saw John three sixteen get raised up beyond the goalposts, and uh, and that verse is extremely well known. Probably the most well-known passage in all of Scripture. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that if you believe in him, you'd not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, that's the gospel message, right? That the Son of God has come into the world, Jesus, God in the flesh, come into the world having uh, to die for our sins, that if we would believe in him, we would not perish or be punished or be separated from God because of our sin, but rather instead have everlasting life. That is good news in many facets. First of all, it tells us that God loves us. He's not against us, he's actually wanting to save us. That's good news. Of course, the bad news is we can't save ourselves, right? We are doomed because of our sin. Paul would spend a great deal of time talking about this idea throughout many of his epistles where he would describe our deadness in sin, our lostness in sin, the fact that the law itself or our our trying to be a good person never adds up to enough to ultimately save us from our sins. And so the good news is that Jesus has come, and where we have no capacity to accomplish our salvation, he comes and fully accomplishes it. His death on the cross is sufficient to he being perfect and without any sin, steps into our place uh, and dies for our sins in our place. And we now, by putting our trust in him, putting our faith in him for having accomplished that, is what saves us ultimately. It's the grace of God that is given to us who believe. We are now saved by faith, and that because of God's gracious love and work for that. And so the gospel, it's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mark is beginning to tell this story, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Jesus is his name, which means God uh, 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 God with us. Uh, Jesus is a Greek version of uh, of the name Joshua, essentially, which means God is salvation. And so Jesus' name essentially means God is salvation. In Luke's gospel, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary, and, and none of this is included uh, in this account of the gospel, but Luke goes back and tells the whole story about how uh, Gabriel the angel comes to Mary and lets her know that She is going to uh, be overcome with the Holy Spirit, and she will conceive and give birth to a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. And so Jesus means God is salvation. The name Emmanuel ascribed to him speaks of uh, God being with us. And the word Christ means anointed one, or the one that God chose or anointed or set apart for this work. He is... Uh, he is God's chosen anointed one to accomplish and fulfill the work that God ultimately set out to do in, in saving mankind. And so the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so Mark here, right away, equates Jesus with deity, the Son of God. Now, we need to just take a moment here. I've spoken of this in, in, in other podcasts, but the concept of the Trinity is at the center of the Christian faith the nature of God as he has revealed himself to us in scripture is that of a being, single being, one God, who is somehow yet eternally existent in three persons, father, son, or as he was known prior to the incarnation as the eternal word and the Holy Spirit. Now, anybody who says they understand how that can physically be does not really. No one does. Uh, The idea of this unity of father son and spirit not being three distinct gods but being one god eternally existent in those three distinct persons one being yet somehow three distinct persons within that one being that is not something that i could possibly begin to understand much less explain however what's important for us to remember is that the scriptures very clearly make this case this is not something that came about 300 years later at some council. This is something that scripture has demonstrated from cover to cover. Councils later tried to understand it and codify it in in terms of of, uh, a foundation of church belief. But the concept that is laid out that we now refer to as the Trinity is not something that is foreign to scripture, it's something that pervades all of scripture. And so um, um, when we talk about the Son of God, we're not talking about somebody who is less than divine, and we're also not talking about another God. For example, um, and I, I uh, with respect to those who are part of uh, uh, the Watchtower, the Jehovah's Witness faith, um, in John 1.1, 1, 1, John records how, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, so John, is even trying to sort of convey this truth uh, in words that we can sort of understand, but yet it is clearly something beyond our understanding ultimately. Uh, The Watchtower, I was referring to a moment ago, in their uh, purported explanation of this and trying to define who Jesus was, in some of their their, uh, modern uh, translations of the New Testament, theirs would read, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was a God putting a definite article in there that the Greek does not have and they would claim that's to bring clarity but I would have to say that it actually diminishes Jesus from who he actually is and presents a different Jesus. Uh, The Jesus of Scripture is very God of very God in the same way that the Father is and in the same way that the Holy Spirit is. We don't understand how this can be and we should never try to sort of trot in And give explanations of things that are beyond our understanding. But we should just simply know that if that's how God has chosen to reveal himself to us, then that's who he is. And if we don't get it, that's not the point. The point is, this is what God has said. So, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now he goes on and uh, says, Behold, I send my messenger before your face. I'm sorry. uh, Yeah, as it's written in the prophets, verse 2. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. And John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. So we are introduced first to the fact that this is the story, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one of the first people we're introduced to in that narrative is a man named John the Baptist. Now, In Luke's Gospel, we find out that John is actually related to Jesus in some sense. He's a cousin of some kind, as Mary is related to John's mother, Elizabeth. Uh, Elizabeth and Zacharias uh, were older, but God had promised to ultimately fulfill a promise through them by bringing this messenger into the world who would proclaim the coming of Christ, and that was John the Baptist. And so Jesus and John, uh, who... The Bible never says they grew up side by side or anything like that, but they were related. And uh, as a matter of fact, it was uh, Mary's arrival at Elizabeth's house that caused Elizabeth, who was uh, already pregnant, uh, for this baby to leap in her womb at the arrival of the Messiah and Messiah's earthly mother. And so, um, so John the Baptist is what is known as the forerunner. Now, the idea of the forerunner actually brings us back to the book of Malachi in the Old Testament. Um, This is the primary place where we see uh, this prophecy of this one who would come and be a forerunner of the Messiah. And it's actually in uh, Malachi chapter three, where, um, uh, and and this is what uh, Mark is actually quoting, is Malachi chapter three. It's your last book of the Old Testament. And uh, by the way, I'm going, I'm I'm speaking like that. I'm kind of pointing out some of these things that to some of you might seem very basic, Um, but I don't want to presume that everybody who's watching this necessarily has this knowledge. So we will take our time to kind of uh, describe and point out and and all that kind of thing on a more basic level in some cases too, because I just want to make sure that we don't presume uh, someone's knowledge base about these things. But Malachi, or that Italian prophet Malachi, as he's incorrectly called, Um, in chapter 3, writes these words, Behold, I send my messenger. Malachi, prophet of God, is recording these things. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And so there is a promise of this one coming who is declaring it is time to make straight the way of uh, this this highway for the Lord ultimately to arrive on uh, and I will just kind of explain that and we'll wrap for today but the idea of a forerunner or a messenger proclaiming a coming king was something that was not unique to Jesus alone a matter of fact the the picture that is is in view here is that of a regular earthly king coming into a city and as word came that the king was going to be coming, what they would do is make sure that the road that the king would come into town on was cleared away of debris, that any you know potholes, we call them today, any divots in the road would be smoothed over so that when the king and his caravan came in, there wouldn't be any of this stumbling around, there'd be nothing obstructing him from coming. It was a great privilege and delight that the king would come to town and so everything was done to clear the way so that the king would have unencumbered entrance into the city. Well, essentially, the forerunner of Messiah had the same job. And that's what John the Baptist was about the business of doing, is that he would immediately be calling people to clear out anything in their hearts that would prohibit the Messiah from coming and having uh, easy entrance and access to that place. Uh, and that was the role of the forerunner. The, and, it was, and he was prophesied that he would come to prepare people's hearts to receive the Messiah when he came. And so this was a fulfillment of prophecy, one of over 300 plus prophecies of Jesus' first coming. Uh, and uh, and Mark, right off the bat, lets even his Roman readers, if that's who his audience was supposed to be, to recognize that something supernatural was happening here, something that the God of heaven had spoken of prior was now taking place, or, and, and from Mark writing after the fact, had taken place in their time, that the Messiah, the King, was actually coming. Now the idea of a king coming, by the way, for a Roman was a big deal as well because the Romans had no king but Caesar, right? And so if you were saying another king has come and this king has come even from above, the son of God has come, that would certainly kind of snap their attention into gear. And so they would be hearing these things, recognizing that, okay, something supernatural is happening here. As a matter of fact, at the end of the gospel accounts, among the people that testify to who Jesus was, is a Roman centurion who when Jesus dies and the temple is rent, the temple veil is rent from top to bottom, an earthquake happens and the skies darken in this, the centurion responds by saying, surely this was the son of God. So uh, we'll go ahead and stop there for now. We'll pick up in verse four tomorrow. That was mostly by way of some introduction. We'll continue to move through the Gospel of Mark next time. I don't know if I just said tomorrow, but as we kind of put this study together, I invite you to continue to follow and, and watch as we go through the Gospel of Mark together. Uh, I, I, I love going through the Gospels. I'll just end on this thought. Um, by the way, if you ever hear a pastor say, in closing, you know you've only got about 20 minutes left. Uh, so, uh, But what I I'll, I will end on this thought. Um, my old pastor, uh, Phil Ballmeyer in Chicago in Illinois, uh, when he would teach through the word, verse by verse, uh, he when he would go from book to book to book to book, every now and then he'd come back and he would do a gospel. And his his, his his thought was, and he would say this, he said, I never like to get too far away from a gospel. Well, I've always remembered that and kind of hung on to that idea. And so uh, that's the reason why I wanted to take some time and go through this gospel of Mark here, sort of in short little podcasts that, uh, that will move along kind of briskly. Um, But they'll all be about 15 to 20 minutes, but we find ourselves in the gospel because we want to look at the person of Christ. Uh, For all the love of theology that we might have, for all the desire to look into the deep things and the hard questions and and the things that get our brains moving and everything like that, all of those things, ultimately, if they're going to truly accomplish their purpose, should lead us to the very person of Jesus Christ. Well, nothing does that more clearly that'll walk through the Gospels. And so we're gonna go ahead and look through Mark's Gospel in the coming days, as well as keeping up our other podcasts as well, but periodically I'm gonna add an additional study in the Gospel of Mark and make our way through it verse by verse. So read the Gospel of Mark, spend time with the Lord in this, and we'll go ahead and break down some of these things together. So thanks for joining, let me pray us out. Father, thank you for the Gospel, the good news, that we're saved not by our works, but by faith. We thank you that Jesus did all the work, ultimately, and Father, demonstrated not only that we're incapable of saving ourselves, but also demonstrated your great love, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. So thank you for this, and we pray that as we spend time in your word, going through the pages of the gospel story, that Father, we would find our hearts reignited with a deep love and passion to know him, Jesus. And Father, we ask this in his name, amen. Amen.